Welcome to season seven of Franchise Findings. This is your host, Patrick Fundaro. We're gonna continue to interview franchisees of some very large franchise organizations as well as emerging concepts, as well as founders and top professionals in the franchising space. I hope you enjoyed our podcast as well as today's episode. You have Patrick Fundaro here, co-founder at Vetted Biz. Excited to have on Lisa Mary, who's the president of Junk King. Lisa, thanks for joining today. Happy to join. Excited to talk to you. So tell me a little bit how you got into the franchise space, I mean, particularly with the junk removal. Sure. So as many people in franchising will tell you, uh, I got here by accident. So I was uh, in college at Penn State and I was studying to be a math major because my father did not want me to be a teacher because teachers make about a dollar a day. Um, <laughs> so I was on a math track and I fell in love with teaching. So eventually I did become a teacher. But because my dad, of course, was right and I only made a dollar a day, I had to also be tutoring on the side. Um, the tutoring company that I went and worked for is a company called Huntington Learning Center, which is actually a very large and well-known franchise company. So little did I know, you know, I was tutoring at a, a franchise site. About a year, year and a half after tutoring there, they approached me about being a center director. And I made that decision to say, do I leave the classroom or, you know, do I go on this business track of education? And that's kind of where, you know, that that first foot in led. And believe it or not, that was almost 30 years ago, as scary as that sounds. So the, um, this center, um, was it owned by a franchisee or was it a corporate location? It was a corporately owned location. Um, so I spent a, a year or two there, then became one of their regional directors. And then they made the transition to say, we need you to go and work with our franchise owners because you're doing so well running the business. And that's what we want as franchise business consultants are people who have run a unit well so that you can go out and train all of our franchise owners. So I became a franchise business consultant or FBC, as they call them, uh, eventually the VP of ops, and then uh, ultimately became the COO at Huntington Learning Center, uh, running every department except for finance and IT. Those were two that I would you know, prefer to stay out of. Um, I was with them for 16 years, so spent a good that's bit of my bad, career. Like, that's like kind of an accelerated career trajectory. Like you start out tutoring and then you get in the C-suite in 16 years. It's amazing, right? And and who would have ever thought? Um, when I eventually left uh, Huntington after having been there for 16 years, I knew I wanted to stay in the franchising space because just like so many others, Patrick, you know, you just fall in love with the business model, how it can take someone that truly has the entrepreneurial spirit and wants to be uh, in business for themselves. But as we say in franchising, in business for yourself, but not by yourself. We're going to offer you a system and training and all this support so that you can really be successful in, in what's a very difficult process of, of trying to be your own boss and, and start your own company. Um, I'm sure you know from your JP Morgan days how many individual businesses fail every single year who try to start on Definitely. their own. So I went into, I stayed in franchising and I actually ended up with a company called Coverall Health-Based Cleaning. They're more B2B. They do a lot of healthcare and schools and daycares, that type of thing. Um, was with them for about seven years. And then, uh, interestingly enough, one of the CEOs that eventually went into Huntington, uh, heard about me after being there for 16 years. And when she went to a company called School of Rock, they needed somebody that was strong in operations. So she came and took me out of the cleaning industry and brought me back to kids, right? Brought, brought me back into uh, tutoring, but it was education, music education, as opposed to reading math and, and science. And I will tell you of all my jobs in franchising, that was by far the coolest. Like we got to go to all the great venues. 
venues and we got to go to all the great massive shows. Um, and the kids are just absolutely amazing. While I was there, I was there for about two years. And then uh, Huntington actually came back to me. They were going through a generational transition because they are a founder run organization still to this day. Um, so I went back to them for a, a two year contract as COO and helped them build a, a management team. Uh, and when I was done there, which was in February of 2019, I was like, oh, I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to travel, do this, that, and the other thing. And that summer, I was contacted by a recruiter who said, I have this perfect (laughs) position for you, but it's in junk hauling. (laughs) I was like, no way. I'm not going to do junk hauling. And I was living in Florida at the time. And then she tells me it's in San Francisco. And I'm like, oh, I'm not moving all the way across the country. (laughs) She convinced me to do the interview. And one thing you'll learn about our founder, Mike Andriaki, is he can sell ice to an Eskimo. I I was with him for probably 45 minutes. And I knew, well, I'm going to up my life and off I go to San Francisco to be part of part of this like amazing junk hauling company. So it's been kind of an interesting zigzaggity transition um, through all my different positions in franchising. But it's an industry I don't think I would ever leave. How would you say like, is there like a difference in terms of like corporate culture across the businesses like coverall, junking versus like Huntington Learners Learning Center and School of Rock, where well, I think- people I imagine get fulfillment not from you know, the then product of teaching kids right. or, you know, on right. the education side. Being an educator at heart myself, um, I always look for that, you know, how are we helping the world? How are we helping the the community? And what we found uh, at Coverall was we were very specific with our franchise owners that they needed to use environmental environmentally sound and safe products, um, as well as ones that were truly disinfectants for any medical or childcare facility. And little did I know that a few years after I left there, we were going to end up in a worldwide pandemic where their, their skill set was not just needed, but required, you know, in so many places. So, you know, you can always find the good in something. And, and when you look yeah. at junk hauling and say, how do you go from educating our youth to hauling junk? Um, one of the things that Junk King prides itself on is our ability to recycle and to donate. There's a very large uh, philanthropic side to what we do here at the organization. So it's more than just about, you know, keeping the earth clean and, and helping all the customers like we do. But it is also how are we giving back to the communities and, and our franchise owners just absolutely thrive on that. And you've added the recycling logo. And I can see behind you in the Junk King. Um, so, you know, you're living by it. It's there. Oh, absolutely. As much as we're red, we're green and we're always going to be that way. Um, and the founder having been born and raised in the Bay Area, um, you know, certainly California claims that it leads the way on all things protecting the earth and recycling. So it's always been a big part of his DNA makeup and he brought it right into the organization. And quite frankly, you know, not only is society, our customers very, um, excited about that part, but also businesses uh, these days are really looking for a partner when that they hear you're so eco-friendly and so um, focused on caring for the environment. It, it does really help us oftentimes get chosen over just a, a price or a, a who you know kind of uh, relationship. So it's definitely benefited us without without a doubt. And do you see like we've studied thousands of, of businesses margin, like what I've noticed over the last couple of years is like the unsexy businesses, the more complex businesses, so more complex like healthcare, home care services, unsexy junk removal, they make more money than like a, a smoothie or fitness or coffee shop. Sure. Well, Have you seen that being across these different industries? So I think Patrick, you know, from talking to 
tens of thousands, if you know, not a hundred at this point, thousand. Every franchise business has the ability to make money. Who actually makes money in that industry, you know, varies from individual franchise owner to individual franchise owner. What I can tell you about junk king and the junk hauling business is that we have a relatively simple business model. Other than your warehouse and your truck payments and insurance, you know, you have dump cost employee fees and a, a little bit of, of gas in that as well. So it keeps the PL relatively simple that it, as we're growing and scaling, if we can help teach our franchise owners how to run tight logistics, so you don't have a lot of windshield time between the appointments and you get the guys uh, trained well so that they're in and out of the houses quickly, but yet sweeping up afterwards. So we leave them with that super smile that, you know, gives us an 89 NPS score, which we're so proud about. That's um, very high for yeah, that, it's, for that it's type of consumer that, Yeah, product, it's something uh, that service. the franchise owners can absolutely uh, have a have a strong PNL. Um, just like any other industry, our expenses are going up right now incredibly. Um, so that causes price increases, but ultimately those margins can be healthy. Yes. About how much time does it take a franchisee to open up from the time they sign the franchise agreement, pay the franchise fee? When when are they start starting with their first crew? So oh. our average right now is six weeks. Um, we always have trucks ready to go, which is exciting. <laughs> okay. And because the brick and mortar requirement for us is just a very basic, you know, 2000 square foot multi-purpose warehouse type facility. Okay. Um, it's light industrial oftentimes. And again, doesn't need a big build out like a restaurant or a learning center would need. They basically sign a lease and can start operating the very next day. So it's usually, I would say, to find that location, you're in a four to six week time period. But if they've started looking before, we've even you know opened units faster than that. And what's the headcount look like when that first year? Is it W-2 employees, contractors? What's it look like? Definitely W-2 employees because you have to carry insurance on them when they're going into the homes, which is, you know, our goal is to make it as easy as possible for the consumer. Yeah. Um, you start with two guys on a truck and you're running six days a week. So you figure even with one truck, if you yourself don't want to be on the truck, you probably have three or four employees so that you're covering six days and not running into overtime or any problems like that. Um, and then if you are doing your advertising and out in the community, I mean, you can get to a second and a third truck relatively quickly within that first year. And we estimate three heads for every truck, one of which has to be a driver and the other two can be basic labor. Okay. So you're, you're saying, I mean, four or five years into the business, you could have what, four or five trucks you have almost 15 employees? Yeah. If you read our, um, if you read our operating manual, our goal for you as a franchise owner is to add at least one truck a year. So if you start the first year with two, then by the time you get to year two, you're adding three, then four, then five. So you would be by year four or five, like a, a five to six truck operation. And you'd want to have two to three employees for every one of those trucks. And at that point, Patrick, you could even be open seven days. You could be open Sunday at that point as well. Um, in that beginning year to 18 months, we want to keep you on six days so that again, logistically and for a PL purpose, you know, we want to try and get you to that break even point as quickly as possible. And what's kind of the ideal profile of, of franchisees? Are there any type of, you know, personality traits or experience that you really look for? So when I think about, you know, the ideal franchisee, you would love for them to have at least a, a bit of business acumen, right? So that they 
um, can understand a P&L and, and understand how to make good business decisions. You want someone who is excited about being part of their local community. Because again, that partnership with some of the places we donate, whether it be Habitat for Humanity or a women's shelter or a veteran shelter, there are a lot of, of opportunities in the community. But I think the other thing is I, I'd like to find people who believe they're a good manager of, of men or of crews. Um, this offers our franchise owners a, a lot of opportunity to, to really help mentor and, and develop what might just be a, a common laborer who has worked in, I don't know, maybe lawn care or moving or any of these others, um, that their goal is to hopefully offer them a career path that they can become a lead driver and then maybe a general manager and that type of thing. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think there's such a potential where if, if it's a fast growing company, like you're saying, where the franchisee is going from one, two, three, four, five cars, trucks, like there is going to be, there is going to be potential for his employees to, to grow within the company. So if a franchisee is not into that, then those seven employees are probably going to leave mm-hmm. and uh, it's not going to be that virtuous cycle. Yeah. We have a very good, what you would call like a sticky rate with our employees. Um, you know, once we get them in and working, it is a hard job. Like you're going to lift heavy things and you're going to go into some clean sparkling places and you're going to go into some, you know, not so clean places. Cause again, junk calling is not always all rainbow and sunshine. Um, but it is different every day. It's fun. And the things you come across that, you know, you could keep, I, I tell you, every one of our crews, I swear, ends up refurnishing their entire house every other year because they find a cold dresser, they find this amazing, <laughs> you know, entertainment system or, or, uh, bookshelf or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's always nice fun to see what you can find for the employees and franchisees. It is definitely, it's kind of like a treasure hunt every single day. <laughs> And how, how are you guys dividing and conquering, um, on the franchise order side, you know, you mentioned operation manual, supporting with site selection. Are you also doing the lead generation and marketing, or is that more handled by the franchisee? Sure. So we have our franchise business consultants, like just about any franchise organization does, but then we also have support on the marketing side, as well as technology, um, and even, you know, going into finance, um, not only are the teams available to our franchise owners, but we're always doing manuals and videos. And we do a lot of communication with our organization. So we have, you know, a monthly system wide call. We have a monthly newsletter that goes out that every department updates. Um, we have ongoing, uh, you know, email communication as, as most brands do. But I think, uh, again, when you, when you think about what makes us somewhat unique is that we're very good at sharing best practices. So as franchise owners come across something in their own market, whether it be a new partnership with a, a potential donation uh, center or um, a new way to hire guys or some things they'd like to see in training, uh, we're very good at cross-pollinating. And as you know, franchise owners love to hear from other franchise owners what's working well in their market. I think that's a huge, I mean, oftentimes talking to franchisees, it's the number one value add. So if you you're part of a system with franchisees across the country and the franchisor is help, helping facilitate the, that conversation, those best practices, that could be like the number one benefit of Absolutely. a franchisee. And welcoming it with open arms. Not, not all franchisors do that. And our recent acquisition with Neighborly, which is the global leader in home services, now gives our franchise owners access to 19 other brands that are also in home services. So there's so many similarities um, where they're now part of a whole community in their market of home service franchise owners. 
that's a very exciting idea for our franchisees. Yeah. And I've met a lot of your colleagues now at Neighborly, as I mentioned before we hit record and people seem to check their ego at the door and everyone's on the same page, very collaborative. So I can imagine that will extend well for, for all the franchisees. Definitely. Um, and again, us being new since November 1st, we're only five months in and not only have they been nothing but welcoming, but we've actually found not only will we be a help in the consumer world where our, our goal is to really offer all the services to a homeowner as a kind of a one-stop shop, but we're finding that Junking also has the ability to support the other brands. So if you have someone that's going in like Rainbow Restoration and they have to do some work in a house, then we can swing by and take care of the hauling needs so they can get their crews off to the next location, helping the next customer. Um, so I, I think we're going to find that cross-pollination at, at least across, you know, 60, 75% of the brands, which uh, again, helps us even accelerate our growth even more. Well, the customer acquisition, it's always easier when you have a referral a warm lead that you don't have to pay for, or maybe you pay very little to the other franchisee of that brand, but you're not having to sell them and qualify the lead and everything. Right. So for the franchise owner, there's an absolute benefit. And hopefully if each one of the brands is being held accountable, then ultimately the consumer benefits as well. Tell me a little bit, how do you guys get such a high uh, net promoter score? So, uh, like I said, we all compete on price and timing. So, you know, they love the fact that a customer is just so excited when they know we can come same day or next day. And honestly, when you look at 75% of our business is complete within 48 hours. So this is a, you know, I made the decision to get rid of something and I'm going to do it now. So it timing is a big piece of that. But then I think the, the other thing is we really spend a lot of time time training both the franchise owners and their crews on great customer service, you know, how to be welcoming and how to, um, you know, talk confidently, and then not only do a good job making sure you're not nicking up a door or a wall when you're removing anything, but we take another step and, and even sweep up after we're done, whether it's a garage or a basement or an attic. And those little things when it comes to customer service, as you can imagine in any brand, you know, allow the, the customer to say, God, not only do I feel relief because all that clutter or garbage is gone. Um, but the guys were amazing. And, you know, my place looks so much better. I'll tell you, I, Patrick, I'm one of those presidents who I, I read our reviews every single day. I wake up in the morning and instead of reading the newspaper and knowing what's going on in the world, I'm reading Junk King reviews. And how many reviews are we talking about? Oh, it's, it's probably about, we do 800 to 1500 jobs a day. So you figure at least half of those are submitting reviews. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> And it's a quick, you know, cursory um, flowing down through making sure we don't have any unhappy customers. But I think the word that surprised me coming into this industry was how many customers talk about the gentleman who came to help them. Hmm. That's an amazing descriptor. And it says yeah. we're doing something right on the training side. Um, <laughs> because if, if you think about how, you know, fragmented of a market junk hauling is, you could have a guy show up with what we call chuck in a truck in like, you know, a tank top wife beater looking thing. And would you even let them in your house? Whereas we come uniformed in a clean and big red shiny truck and then hopefully have the right conversation that leads us to be able to complete the job and, and make that customer happy. So 
we're very proud of that NPS and score. And who who are you going to? So there's Chuck in the truck. What the bid process like? Tell tell me a little bit about the go to market. Like I know you fulfill the service within 48 hours, but like how long is the sales process? Like who else is bidding for this job? I would say the majority of our business, probably a good 75%, comes through Google, right? Whether okay. it's a you know paper uh, PPC campaign, a Google guarantee campaign, um, some of the organic. We use the basic social media platforms that can now do uh, some advertising. And then there are a few aggregators like Angie's List and, and Home Advisor, those kind of things. So oftentimes when we're bidding against what we call Chuck in a truck, they're going to underbid us every time. But the question is how safe do you feel with them coming into the house or, you know, their professionalism? Um, so we really do sell on professionalizing a what what could be, you know, kind of a ragged business at times. Ultimately, when you look at what the consumer is looking for, they're happy to know if we're going to come into the house that we're insured, that we do training, that, you know, we're intent on hiring um, the best laborers that we can find. And, and that's important to a lot of consumers. And what areas of the country are you most excited to expand in? So we are not currently in New Jersey. Um, and we just went into New York City, which I think is going to be interesting just to get the big red truck in there, as well as yeah. figuring out how to go up and down all those, you know, elevators <laughs> and whatnot in the city. That'll be fun. Uh, we're in most major markets today, which is exciting and strong presence in California because that's where we were founded, um, which isn't true for for a lot of franchise companies. Um, but really, the, the only big market we're not in is that New Jersey, New York metro area. And about how much does it cost to open up a junk king? Say if someone wanted to open up in New Jersey. Sure. In our FDD, um, our costs range from 80000 to 125000 to open. And basically what that includes is the franchise fee itself, which we charge per head. So you buy population. So you have a protected territory. And then it's the expense of buying a truck, which you don't pay for cash. It's just like buying a car. You have a down payment and then you have monthly payments after that. But other than that and a deposit on the warehouse, there's not a lot of opening costs. You're not buying a ton of inventory. You're not, you know, spending thousands to build out a space. Um, it's a relatively low cost of entry. And oftentimes people have either tried the chuck in a truck road and said, ah, oh, maybe if I go with this more professional one, they'll help me get leads and help me do all these other business oriented things that might not be, you know, my strength. It's, it's the one thing about franchising, you know, when you think about this as a choice, rarely are you going to find the unicorn where you have a business owner who is a great business ha has high business acumen, has amazing marketing skills, has great hiring skills. Um, you just, it's a unicorn. You're never going to find that one person who is excellent in every one of those. But typically the franchise owners that come to us excel in at least one, if not two of those areas and are happy to find, Hey, these guys have really worked out the kinks of the other part. And they're always looking to grow and always looking for feedback on how the system and the process can get better. And then I'm sure the franchisee can lean on you for support, lean on the, the consultant um, to help it smooth off their areas that they're not as good as, as well as just hire employees Absolutely. as they get to four or five trucks and having, you know, whether they're not as good as sales or not as good at operations, hiring a manager to cover their weak spots. Yeah. And I believe that's true anywhere in life, whether you work in the corporate world and surround yourself with, you know, smart and strong people um, who compliment you or, you know, as a franchise owner um, and who knows, even, you know, you think about marriage, yin and yang, opposites attract because they support each other and complement each other well. And how about on the resale? 
side. Are there any junking resales available? So there's always, you know, some percentage of the system that either for, uh, unfortunately, like a healthcare concern or something yeah. like that, there are resales. But otherwise, we're a brand now that's coming up on on 12 years old. So there are people that are saying, okay, I'm ready to retire and, and move on. There's people um, moving Florida to California. Yes, just California like me, to Florida, Florida to California. Um, so at any time, you'll see in a healthy system, anywhere from 5 to 7% of the units are for sale yeah, as far as a transfer goes. Transfer, and right. we fit right in that mold. Um, so you look at our 175 units and, you know, we're going to have eight or 10 that are, are transitioning at any given time. And I can imagine they traded a pretty nice premium above the 80 to 100 or so K to, to start the business. Sure. Yeah. Because you would have kind of the value of the population. So there is an asset there that, you know, uh, when you look at, at valuation of our business, um, the trucks, depending on if you have them paid off or not, can be an asset. Otherwise, you're just taking over their loan payments. Um, and then really, again, you're looking at goodwill. How how yeah. big, what's the revenue, and, and how do we put yeah. a percentage on goodwill? And I can imagine if the franchise owner is making like 100K, you might be able to buy it for 300K up to 400K, depending on the local market and who the buyer is going to be. Sure. Typically, we fall right in the matrix or right in the metric of like a, a three to four multiple of, of of profitability or EBITDA, just like you would see in in almost uh, any other service brand. Um, but even for those franchise owners, if unfortunately they're underperforming and they're looking to transition, there is still some asset value in the population, trucks, and goodwill. Um, so even if they're not the best at running a great, highly profitable business, they can still transition out at a very, very reasonable, um, you know, what they would consider a win. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And compared to other businesses like in the food space where you have to really look hard if you're going to re ever recoup your your investment back. Because yeah. if you're investing not 100K to get going, but three, 400K and like Subway, it's the resales are usually 200, 250 and at the midpoint investments, 350. Right. So yeah. you're, and there's, you're I mean, there's a lot of inventory, out. there's a lot of perishables, there's, I mean, there's so many factors between quick serve restaurants and service, whether it's been tutoring or cleaning or now junk hauling, uh, you know, I've always <laughs> stayed in that service industry um, and have found great success in it. Uh, and my success only comes through our franchise owners. So, you know, that's a good thing about each one of the businesses and industries that I've been in is as long as we have successful franchise owners, then the franchisor is doing well as well. Well, Lisa, any concluding thoughts for prospective franchisees? You know, when you think about Junk King as a franchise, uh, another real strength of our founder, Mike Andriaki, being in the Bay Area is really that technology side. So a few of the things that we look at as the next five to seven years and what's going to really drive our growth um, one is making sure that we stay up to date on technology, both from a marketing standpoint, um, as well as their scheduling and logistical software, because that does, you know, play a key factor in, in making them profitable. And then the next piece, uh, Patrick, really is how do we continue to expand um, business lines in the junk hauling industry. So we have big red dump trucks and we can come and do full service for you. But at Junk King, you can also rent a dumpster for three days. And our dumpsters are 12 yards. So they fit very nicely in a driveway. They're made for the consumer. They're not made for big construction jobs or anything along those lines. Um, so it's another revenue line for our franchise owners. And we just recently, within the last three weeks, 
launched what's called a dumpster bag. So it's a three yard hmm. bag that you can fill it up in your, in your garage. You can fill it up in whatever, the backyard. Whatever the hell you want to put in it. Yep. Leave it on the curbside and we'll swing by and pick it up. So just constantly looking for those opportunities so that our growth isn't just determined by adding big red trucks, but also by adding <laughs> additional services for our franchise owners. Yeah. And I imagine there's just a lot of ways to, to upsell once you have that customer in the in the door. Yep. Or downsell if you want to say, you know, instead of doing full service hauling here, have two bags so that you can also do it at your own convenience. And, you know, it kind of works both ways. But it, it's an exciting industry. And and like I said to you before we started recording, like, I don't know that that five years ago, I would have ever said to anyone in my life, I'm going to go be a junk hauler. And it's it's been an interesting industry. It's been amazingly rewarding. And, you know, the amount of philanthropic opportunities that we've had working with big organizations and certainly ones that are near and dear to a lot of our franchise owners' hearts um, gives them that get up and go every morning to say, let's go see what we're going to find. Let's see what we can keep out of the landfills and save the planet one truck at a time. I love it. Lisa, if anyone's interested in potentially being a Junk King franchisee, what's the best way to get in contact? Sure. You can go to our website at www.junk-king.com or you can simply call in 888-888-JUNK. <laughs> Perfect. That's easy. Well, Lisa, thanks again. I really appreciate opening up about your experience in, in franchising, junk space, all different types of service businesses, your career trajectory, and how Junk King's differentiated. And for anyone that's listening, if you're further interested, give them a call or, or visit their website. Thanks so much, Patrick. I've had a great time. Thanks, Lisa. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast episode. If you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free also to drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.